speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 50 of the Man of Scream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to look at two more episodes of season four of The Adventures of Superman. The first... We peril by sea, and then later on we're going to meet Professor Pepperwinkle for the first time in Topsy Turvy. But first, this episode represents a little bit of a milestone for the show. This is the true episode 50 of the Man of Screen podcast, as in episode 50 of the main show, the weekly index that I've been doing since this show first dropped last March. And I couldn't have done it without... You, the listener, knowing you guys are out there listening to me talk about Superman on the screen week in and week out is really what keeps me coming back to the microphone every week and recording another episode. So this 50th episode, halfway to 100, is as much about me sitting here on the microphone as it is about you guys, wherever you are out in the great big wide world of the internet listening to the show. So before I get to anything else, I just want to say thank you for listening and... I will, and I plan to keep this going through the rest of what I determined my mandate to be. So, there's plenty more to look forward to on the Man of Screen podcast. Just a few notes about the future. I've talked a little bit about what'll happen down the line, and I expect to be finished with the Adventures of Superman by probably late May, early June, if everything goes according to plan. And from there, I will head into some of the between years, some of the stuff that was proposed for the years after the adventures of Superman, after the unfortunate death of George Reeves. And then from there, I'll go on to the Filmation cartoons. I am going to look at the Super Friends cartoons, the Christopher Reeve movies, and Superboy, and Lois and Clark, and all that. So, plenty more to come over the next few years on this podcast. So, I hope those of you who have joined me because you like the old Kirk Allen and now George Reeves stuff will stay with me as I move on to different eras later this year. But that's for later this year. And before I get into the business of this week's episode, like I said, I just want to say thank you for all your support over the first 50 episodes. And now I'm going to get into some business, some feedback from Dave McElvenny. Dave is talking about Man of Screen podcast episode number 45, in which he says, Greetings, Mike. I enjoyed this first episode of 2017. I hope the new year has begun well for you, and you and yours will enjoy health and happiness throughout. We're trying, Dave. We're trying. Dave writes, Olsen's Millions was, for me, a decent episode of The Adventures of Superman, but not quite up to the fun I usually associate with Jack Larson's portrayal of Jimmy. The scene with all the stuff he'd bought and had delivered to his new apartment was quite funny, but much of the episode was sort of generic, gullible Jimmy gets into a fix. I know with the budget and probably quick shooting schedule, not every episode is going to be great, heaven knows, but I also hope for something special when it's centered on Jimmy Olsen. I thought Clark Kent Outlaw was the better of the two featured episodes this time. I remember when I saw this as a kid expecting Superman to squeeze some coal into diamonds to take the place of the uncut diamonds he was supposed to steal, and be disappointed that he just flew to South Africa to get some from a mine. Later though, when I thought about it, I remembered that in the comics when Superman did squeeze coal into diamonds, they usually came out perfectly cut and shaped which is also true of the Season 2 episode, Jungle Devil, which wouldn't work for him in this case. I continue to have fun listening to your podcast. Thanks. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. Before I move on, I want to, you know, agree with Dave. Yeah, Olsen's episode, Olsen's Millions, was a decent episode. But, you know, aside from a few funny moments and a few memorable scenes, it was basic, you know, basic Jimmy Olsen gets into trouble episode. Nothing really memorable about it, except for, the smoke signals and the scene where Jimmy buys all that crap. And but definitely Clark Kent Outlaw was my favorite of those two episodes too. I always enjoy episodes that put Clark out of his element or undercover, trying to fool some criminals into thinking that he's working with them. So that was definitely the better effort of the two. You know, you make 104 episodes, not all of them are going to be great. Some of them are just going to be okay. 
And we'll get to some later on in the series when things are a little bit less than okay. But that's for the future. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a podcast promo. And then I'm going to come back with Peril by Sea. Hang around, folks. Rocketed from the doomed planet Krypton, Baby Kal-El landed in Smallville, Kansas, where he was found and raised by the Kents. Growing up, he was raised with morals and values which would stay with him for the rest of his life. Now, as an adult, he protects the city of Metropolis and the world as Superman, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Mario Benesi, and I host a show called Up, Up, and Away, the podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. From 1938 to today, I cover it all. From comics and movies to TV, radio, and more, you can bet I've covered it on Up, Up, and Away. Or I will cover it. It's kind of how these shows work. Now, this is a character that's meant a lot to me for a great many years, and this show is my love letter to my hero. So if you love Superman as much as I do, or you want to learn a little bit more about him, check out the show. It can be found on iTunes and Podomatic, as well as through Facebook. If you want to contact yours truly, drop me a line at mbenesi94 at yahoo.com. That's B as in boy, E-N-N-E-S-E. Up, up, and away is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We'll head right into Peril by Sea. Original broadcast date was March 10th, 1956. Writer was David Chantler. Director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast included Claude Akins as Ace Miller. Ed Penny as the guard, and Julian Upton as Barney. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Daily Planet editor Perry White has a cottage at Paradise Sound near the edge of the ocean. Jim, I don't think you ought to be sitting in Mr. White's chair with your feet up on the desk. He wouldn't like it. But Mr. White isn't here. He's miles away. Well, I don't think Mr. Kent would like it either. But Mr. Kent isn't here. He is now. And he doesn't like it. You mean you don't like it? No, because while you're sitting there, I can't. Excuse me, old boy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe you'd given up being temporary editor of the planet. Oh, no, no, no. Just getting a new ribbon for my typewriter. Hey, Mr. Kent, we got the story on those bank robbers Superman just captured ten minutes ago. That's pretty fast work. Hey, speaking of fast work, you should have been there to see Superman. Uh, yes, Lois, I'm sorry I missed it. Oh, by the way, I want you to play down the Superman angle on this story, will you? Yes, sir, Chief. Oh, incidentally, isn't it about time we found out what happened to the real Chief? Yeah, he's been gone about two months now. It's a long time not to be yelled at. <laughs> well, now that you brought it up, I have a surprise for you. We're all going to pay him a visit this afternoon. Honestly, where? At the cottage. You mean that little house he built right at the edge of the ocean? That's right. I figure we ought to leave here about 1 o'clock, all right? This is going to be interesting. Can't tell me there isn't something mysterious going on. Well, you'll see, Lois. You'll see. Known smuggler Ace Miller and his partner Barney are in a submarine observing a cottage. It happens to be the same one occupied by Perry, and it's heavily guarded. This makes Ace curious about what is going on behind its doors. At nightfall, he and Barney will go ashore. I still can't believe it. Mr. White, a real honest-to-goodness scientist. Let's just say a dabbler in science. What's in there? You'll find out in a minute, Lois. Cheapers! Assimilator! A Geiger counter, Olson. Be accurate. First rule of the newspaper game. If a story is accurate, you can never lose by printing it. Yes, sir. I'll remember that, sir. Now. Cheapers. Uranium. Special variety of uranium called U-183. Be accurate, Olson. First rule of the newspaper game. Yes, sir. U-183. Now, there's not enough in here to cause any damage from a short exposure. Will somebody please explain this to me? Come on over and sit down, Lois. The chief's going to tell you all about it. Well, Jim, it looks like we've been working for a genius all these years. Yeah. And I used to think... You used to think what, Olson? Well, nothing. Nothing's right. I just used to think. Obviously, you don't anymore. 
Please, Chief, what's this all about? Well, actually, it's all very simple. For many years, I've made a hobby of studying ancient scientific documents. This is a copy of one of them. This was written a thousand years ago by a chemist named Archimenio. It's Greek to me. Now you're being accurate, it is Greek. That particular copy tells how to extract U-183 from ordinary seawater. You mean this Archimenio discovered that a thousand years ago? Yes, and at that time, U-183 was considered a worthless white metal. Now it's the most valuable metal in the world. It can be, particularly in the field of medical research. Now, up to now, I've been able to extract only one millionth of a gram. But if this experiment succeeds, the supply of U-183 will be unlimited. And as soon as the government found out about it, they made it top secret. Yes, I'm guarded night and day by land and sea. And all I want to do is to get back to my office, where people barge in without knocking, interrupt me when I'm working, and bother me so I could scream. Golly, Chief, then you do like my work. Don't call me Chief. But that did feel real good. Yes, sir, I'm glad. And I, uh, I just want you to know that I'm proud to be working for a man that's doing so much for humanity. That's enough of that, Olson. But the whole world should know about this. Publicity's the last thing I want. You're just being modest, sir. Oh, no, he's not, Jimmy. Well, I think we'd better be getting back. We have a newspaper to put out, remember? Yeah. Bye, Chief. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, Chief, let me know if there's anything you need, huh? Right. Only something would happen to end this experiment. Jimmy, thinking he will make Perry proud, writes an article on the Chief's experiments. Sure feels good to get out that sardine can, huh? Hmm? I just said it sure feels good to get Where? out that... Wait a minute. Well, this is too good to be true. What's that? Listen. Planet editor turns scientist, discovers age-old secret. Byline James Olson. Now listen to this. One of history's greatest experiments is taking place in a little cottage which juts out in the ocean at Paradise Sound. You mean... Nah, it couldn't be. Here in this peaceful setting, guarded by land and sea, Perry White has discovered the secret of extracting the uranium element, U-183, from ordinary seawater. This afternoon, three planet reporters, Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and this writer, paid a visit to Mr. White. Uranium from the ocean? Hey, that's better than making gold out of lead, huh? Barney, this is it. With our smuggling connections all over the world, that formula could make us a king's ransom. There's only one catch. First, we got to get the formula. We'll get it. How? I'm not sure yet, except about those three jokers from the planet. They've got access to the cottage. Access? I thought it was uranium. I mean, they got a way in. Is that good for us? I'm going to figure a way to make it good. The story somehow managed to not be seen by acting editor Clark. Had he read it, it would not have been printed. I'm sorry, Mr. Kent. Chief? Sir? You know everything has to clear through the editor. I was just trying to follow the chief's advice. He said if a story's accurate, you can't lose by printing it. Well, this one's accurate, all right. About the only thing you didn't print was the actual formula itself. It's a good thing it was in Greek, or it would have. With all those security measures. And you practically spell it out in black and white. Right now, I feel like jumping out of that window and drinking a bottle of poison on the way down. Well, I'm afraid it's going to be a little worse than that, Jimmy. You mean I have to shoot myself, too? No, but I'm afraid that you're going to have to show Mr. White that article in person. Oh, please, Mr. Kent. I'll do anything, but not that. Well, I'm sorry, Jimmy. I'm not doing this just to be mean. But sometimes a good reporter has to learn his responsibilities the hard way. The hard way? I don't mind. But the impossible. Oh, Lois, your assignment is to drive him down to the cottage right away. I hate to do it, Jim, but Clark's the boss. I'm afraid he's right. Come on. Oh, uh, Lois, just a minute. Let's see, it's about 10 o'clock now. That gives you plenty of time to be back here by 3 sharp. We have a lot of work to do, remember? <laughs> Don't I know it. I promise you, Clark, back by 3. Good. Let's go. Lois and Jimmy are driving to Perry's cottage. Ace and Barney are in the back seat holding them at gunpoint. I don't suppose there's much chance of us running out of gas, is there, Miss Lane? Nope. Tank's full. A blowout, maybe? Puncture-proof tires. A breakdown, then. The, uh, 
the piston rod breaks through the crankshaft and knocks the flywheel into the distributor cap. Sorry, Jim, it's a brand new car. Oh, something's just gotta happen. It's gotta. Not anything to oblige, kid. Who are you? Doesn't matter, Miss Lane. Where can we take you fellas? Anywhere, you just name it. We want to go to that little cottage in Paradise Sound. Oh, it's not fair. Everybody's against me. I think I've seen you somewhere before. Didn't we run a story on you about five years ago? Well, the picture didn't do me justice. Right now, you just keep heading for that little cottage. I won't do it. That's the spirit, Miss Lane. Miss Lane, take a look, huh? Now I remember you. Ace Miller, you beat a federal smuggling charge. Sure, but I'm getting out of the smuggling racket, Miss Lane. After one more job, this one. You're not going to steal Mr. White's secret formula. That's right, thanks to that article you wrote. Miss Lane, I wish you weren't here. At this point, I'd gladly sacrifice myself. We all make mistakes, Jim. Yeah, but let's not make any now. It wouldn't be healthy. At the same time, Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson has come into the editor's office of the Planet. Good grief, Kent. How did this get in the newspaper? Oh, hello, Bill. I had a hunch you might be dropping by. Well, it seems our Mr. Olson embarked on a truth in journalism kick. As a matter of fact, Bill, he handed in the copy desk before I could give it my okay. Well, I trust you fired him. Well, I did something a little worse than that, as a matter of fact. I sent him down to see Mr. White and apologize in person. Well, maybe you can tell me how I can apologize to the county supervisors. Huh? What have they got to do with it? Well, it just happens that Mr. White's cottage is on county land. That makes my office at least partially responsible for security measures there. Oh, no. Everything happens to you. Yeah, everything happens to me. Now, I've got to drive all the way down there and check everything from A to Z. Well, there's one bright spot. Yes. If you hurry, you can get there before they leave and have a few quiet words with our Mr. Olson. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would appreciate an opportunity to chew out our Mr. Jimmy Olson. See you later. Okay, Bill. After making the guards believe they are scientists from the Polytech Institute, Ace and Barney take the formula for extracting the U-183. The White, I can explain. I... The second thought, I'd rather I didn't. Well, this is preposterous. What are these, these two apes doing here? Watch your language, Mr. White. We're sensitive. Put your hands down. They hid in the car, Chief. We had to bring them. That's right. They had to bring us. Look the place over, Barney. Yeah. Well, what did you come back here for in the first place? The answer couldn't possibly help the situation now, Chief, sir. In fact, nothing could. Where's the formula, Mr. White? You'll get that formula over my dead body. That's how it's got to be. Olson, I have a strange feeling you're at the bottom of this. He was just trying to please you, Chief, and it backfired. Exploded is a better word, Miss Lane. Find anything, Barney? This must be it, Ace. No, no, that's just some Greek literature I've been translating. Since when is the Greek alphabet made up of numbers? Yeah. Well, I guess you win. Okay, as long as you have the formula, you might as well have the sample that goes with it. But, Chief... Lois, whoever ends up with the formula should have everything that goes with it. All we can do is hope that they'll use it for humanitarian purposes. Well, that's the kind of an attitude I appreciate. Well, come on, you two. Help me to carry it out. Carry it out? But it was just on the... Olson, haven't you learned to obey orders yet? Yes, sir. Get in here. As soon as we get the sample, we'll get rid of them. Open up or we'll blast our way in. Go ahead and try. It's impossible. That bolt on the inside probably saved our lives. Yes, I didn't want anyone coming in here while I was working. All right. We can play the same game. Get the torch. You think the fun in the joint's down? Don't forget we're in it, huh? It ain't gonna work, Ace. They know who we are. Like you said, we gotta get rid of them. Not only that, we got to make sure nobody even knows the formula is gone. Meaning we got to get rid of them and the shack too, huh? Exactly. Well, that's impossible without getting rid of ourselves at the same time. You just leave the brain work up to me. Now go on, light it. Hey, you in there? We're welding you in.
Tarkan is worried. It's after 3 p.m. and Lois and Jimmy should have returned to the office by now. Inspector Henderson has arrived at Paradise Sound in time to talk on the security guard's telephone with the acting editor. Nobody answers at the cottage, and Henderson has found the vault door welded shut. Ace and Barney return to their submarine. They launch a torpedo. Its target is Perry's cottage. However, the weapon explodes too soon, because it hits Superman instead. The Man of Steel orders Barney and Ace to surface and head to shore. Their fear of his great strength leaves the smuggler little choice but to surrender to the authorities. With Ace Miller and Barney on their way to prison, Superman can save his friends. I thought it might be you. Oh, well, that's about as close a call as you've ever had. Chief for Superman, we heard the explosion. What happened? You'll get the full story later, Jim. Just be sure you print it accurately. Don't ever say that, Superman. I never want him to be accurate again. Say, Chief, what about the formula? Well, I've gone as far as I can with that, Lois. From here on, it's up to the Civil Security Commission. I don't suppose there's any way to thank you, Superman. As a matter of fact, there is, Miss Lane, by getting back to your office at once. After all, poor Clark Kent can't get that paper out by himself, you know. All right. So this episode is going to start with Jimmy with his feet up on Perry's desk. And apparently the chief being miles away is enough license for Jimmy to, you know, have his feet up there. This is where we find out that Clark is the temporary editor of the, of the Daily Planet while Perry is away. Perry has been apparently gone for two months. This is a common trope for the time, and not the first time this has happened in the series. The last time was on Great Caesar's Ghost, where when Perry said he was retiring, Clark was quickly made the new editor of the Daily Planet. And for those of you who are fans of the radio show, will also know that during the time on the show where Perry White was mayor of Metropolis, Clark Kent was the editor of the planet, so... There's a little note there that it's a common thing for Clark to be editor of the planet while Perry is away. So Clark scares Jimmy a little bit and hassles him about sitting in his chair. And the two reporters did their jobs and got some info on some bank robbers that Superman took care of. Of course, uh, Clark uh, knows all about that because he took care of that as Superman. The episode started actually with Superman flying into the Daily Planet. Obviously, he knows what Superman has done. The bank robbers are irrelevant to the story. It's just whatever Superman was doing right before the curtain rose. So, this is the day that Lois and Jimmy are going to find out what Perry White's been up to for the past two months. So, they're going to pay him a visit at his cottage. And then the next scene will go right to two men on a submarine. These are Barney and Ace. And lo and behold, they're looking at a, at a cottage. And Ace is very interested in what's going on at the house on the shore. So, behind a guarded door, Perry is dabbling in science and... He's showing Jimmy uh, through a Geiger counter. You've got a little substance here that's going crazy. It's basically of an isotope of uranium. Uranium-183. And apparently from many, one of the many things that Perry has done in his past, one of which is study ancient documents. This is an ancient Greek document that tells how to make uranium-183 from ordinary seawater. So, Jimmy makes a comment that the scientific document is all Greek to him, and Clark tells him that it is. A, uh... Similar gag will be used on Lois and Clark during the first season when the team is looking at a scientific document. I believe it's the episode Witness. And I believe it's, again, Jimmy saying that it's all Greek to him, and that time Perry tells him that it's all Greek, that it actually is Greek. These gags do get reused over and over again throughout the decades. So, Clark tells Jimmy that as soon as the government found out what Perry knew, well, they made a top secret and threw guards all over his little cottage. Well... Despite the fact that the government made it top secret, Jimmy wants to tell the world about it. Because the chief deserves recognition. Well, I guess Jimmy misses the point of top secret. Top secret doesn't generally mean put it in the newspaper. Perry does express that he misses the hustle and bustle of the newspaper office. And there's a great moment with he and Jimmy where Jimmy calls him chief. Perry, of course, gives him a don't call me chief. But it's more calm. It's more of a don't call me chief instead of the usual don't call me chief. But he clearly shows that he misses it even admitting that chastising Jimmy made him feel better. So it's nice to know that Perry misses being at the office as much as the staff misses having him there. Yeah, apparently even Jimmy misses having him. He does comment earlier in the episode how strange it is not to get yelled at all the time. So, and when they leave, you see there's a little bit of sadness kind of hinging over Perry, and he has this nice, quiet moment where he wishes the experiment would be over, and, you know... He could go back to his life. The man lives and breathes newspaper rink, and he really feels that that's where he belongs, and he's right. So, Jimmy, meanwhile, is very taken by Perry's work, and he's suddenly sorry that he causes so much trouble, and wants to do something nice for him. And we all know Jimmy, for all his good intentions, 
when he wants to do something nice for Perry, it's going to go horribly wrong. That's just, that's Jimmy's lot in life. So now we get another, we get a scene of Ace and Barney reading the paper. And they found the story that Jimmy wrote about what Perry is doing. My initial question was how Clark would let such a thing through. But we're going to discuss that later on in the episode as it actually does come up as a plot point. Which I'm glad to see that it wasn't just brushed under the rug. This top secret story has now become front page news. Jimmy, what part of top secret didn't you understand? So the now next is the scene in the, in the Daily Planet office where Clark is asking Jimmy how we can do it. My first question is Clark. As the managing editor, how does that get into the paper without you knowing? Jimmy Olsen should not be able to just put something in. Not everything a reporter writes makes the paper. There are systems and filters and editing that has to be done. Clark is in charge of the paper, and Jimmy should at least have an assignment editor or something that would have to report to Clark, or Jimmy should have to turn assignments into Clark. Only editors can approve content for any newspaper that I've ever worked for. And granted, I don't run a paper as large as the planet, but I know everything that goes in, goes in because I've approved it all. What Jimmy's done here is a fireable offense. And while he considers what he does to Jimmy worse than firing, you know, this is probably the kind of mistake that could get Clark fired too. But Clark just thinks it's worse to send Jimmy up to face Perry. You know, but it's inadequate. And Clark is responsible for this too. You know, he should have seen this before it went to the press. You know, and like I mentioned, not only is Perry going to be upset, but the government is likely to be unhappy as well, since this is supposed to be top secret. And Jimmy has no justification for this. Perry's advice that about how you can't go wrong as long as the story's accurate doesn't apply to top secret. There is what you can print and what you shouldn't print. This story falls under what you shouldn't print. So, Lois has the task of driving Jimmy up to see Perry in her car. Nice blue convertible. And, uh... Jimmy is thinking of all kinds of reasons to get there. He wants to, he's hoping to run out of gas, have a blowout. He wants to see the pieces fly off the car and Nick knock out the flywheel and just wreck the thing. Anything not to get to where they're going. But I want to talk about the tires for a minute. Lois says her car has puncture-proof tires. Is that a thing? Was that a thing in 1955? And is that a thing now? I've never heard of puncture-proof tires. If anybody knows that's an actual thing, let me know. But Jimmy is going to get interrupted. As their uh, submarine friends are about to uh, show up out of the back seat, one of the problems you run into with a convertible is that just about anybody can jump into your back seat and hide there for however long you were in the car. I mean, yeah, forget about getting the seats wet and whatnot. The biggest problem a convertible driver has is keeping out stowaways. So, Jimmy is hoping they'll want to go somewhere else, but nope, no such luck. They want to go to the cottage as well. And... I think at this point, Jimmy's ready to jump out of the movie vehicle and hang himself in a tree. But I'm pretty sure they would just make the Lois stop the car and they would rescue him from the tree and keep on going to the cottage. This episode could have also been re- could also been titled Jimmy Olsen, Boy Dumbass, by the way. And I want to say the music in this episode is a little bit weird. If you listen to it, it's trying to put you in a lighter mood, but there really isn't much light in this episode so far. This is all serious stuff here and, you know... I'm not going to say this is worthy of a Season 1 episode, but definitely worthy of a good Season 2 episode, at least, where, you know, the show is already, by this point, is is moving more toward being a kid's show at this point. But this is a pretty serious episode in and of itself. There's not really much about this that I would consider, you know, lighthearted. Not like uh, the next episode we're going to talk about, Topsy Turvy. Back in Metropolis, Henderson shows up at the editor's office and he's screaming at Clark about Jimmy's story. Because he has to worry about security measures because the cottage is on county land. I would think that since the feds took over this operation, security would be their issue, but I guess it's not. But, you know, they even comment on it. Everything falls on Bill. And that's probably because he's the only cop in the cast and there's no money for guest stars. Even this episode is very light on guest stars. Just the actors who play Aces and Barney and the security guard that just lets everybody into the cottage with a smile. So speaking of security at this cottage, it's horrible. The security guard doesn't ask for any ID on Ace and Barney, and they just figure, oh, yeah, since you're bringing them in Lois Lane, well, you can bring anybody into our top-secret facility. Well, that's going to come back and bite them. Jimmy was about to explain to Perry what he did, but decides not to after they come in with Ace and Barney. Well, they're threatening they want the sample, and Perry decides he's going to go get him the sample, but he takes Jimmy and Lois into the vault with them, and he throws the bolts from the inside, which... Perry did, definitely didn't uh, think this through as Ace throws the bolt from the outside and locks them in. 
Apparently, this vault or whatever it is was kind of Perry's sanctuary where he could work without people bothering him. But he was usually the only other person in the room, and when you throw the bolt from the inside, that means you're not physically present to throw the bolt from the outside. Unless there's a uh, crim- a smuggler on the outside trying to do some espionage. So we get more from this awful security guard who sees Ace and Barney leaving in Lois's car without Lois and Jimmy. They just say they're going to come back tonight, and he just smiles and waves them on. And as they go, Henderson shows up to check things check things out. He has to talk to Clark real briefly. He decides it's time to turn into Superman. Henderson goes into the cottage and he tries to get them out. Tries shooting at the bolt, but that doesn't work. And by now, Superman has heard that Lois and Jimmy have not been heard from and it's past 3 o'clock, the deadline to come back. So, knowing that they're still there has Clark heading out to the cottage as Superman. So, Superman lands on a rock or something and he looks into the cottage to see what's going on. He checks things out there. And then when he hears that they're going to blow up very soon, that's when we see Superman looking toward the water, and that's where he sees the fire torpedo. Now, this is a nice shot of Superman flying through the water. I'm not sure how the producers realized this shot. It almost looks as though his image is transposed on something full of water, and they're running the, someone like running a rope or something through it and animating Superman in there. It's well done. I don't know how this is done, but I like this shot. He's not necessarily changing the course of the river, but he is flying through the water. One of the at least two times we're going to see Superman fly through water in this show. Superman's Wife is another episode of Season 6 where I believe we'll see this effect again. So I don't think this qualifies as a new flying scene. I think they just transposed one of the normal flying scenes over this animation of water. So Superman stops the torpedo, and I love that Ace and Barney get a full... uh, Periscope view of Superman's face, and not enough to make them surrender. So they're they're done for the episode pretty easily. And then we get a shot of Superman flying toward the cottage, and this is a weird-looking flying shot. It's not one of the normal ones they use. Superman is kind of tilted with his back toward the camera, and I wonder why they shot this one and didn't use one of the basic color flying stock shots. Just a question that's not gonna have any have an answer. Superman shows up in the cottage, saves them by pulling the, the uh, vault door off its hinges, and the episode ends with him telling Lois and Jimmy to get back to the planet to help Clark with the paper. We also learned that Perry is done with the experiment and that the government is going to take it from here. I'm not sure why the government really needed Perry. They, they probably could have taken it from here on day one, but nah, no, for, the, for this episode, we needed Perry to be gone for two months, so guess that is what it is. This was a good episode. I liked it. It really kept my attention, you know. I found myself a couple times in this episode... Forgetting that I wasn't taking any notes. That this episode just kind of... I really got into the... Some of the suspense. Not so much for the bad guy plot. Because that was kind of basic and dealt with very easily. But I was very into Jimmy's angst about what he had done. But this episode did miss an opportunity. For all the hemming and hawing about what Jimmy had done. And for all of Jimmy's consternation about having to face Perry with what he's done. It never happened. Jimmy never showed Perry the paper with the article about the U-183 in it, and the, the only way this pays off is by Perry saying that he never wants Jimmy to be accurate again, and just, we never saw Jimmy get his just desserts for what he did. For all intents and purposes, he got away with it. And, uh, Perry's comment about Jimmy never wanting to be accurate again was strange, obviously not because it led to the adventure, kind of showing that Perry knows about the story, that's kind of the only thing that pays, like I said, that pays that storyline off. But you know what, Perry? Accuracy is what every journalist should strive for, but he still shouldn't be divulging state secrets. That's pretty much it for that episode. It was a good episode, but a basic one. Not really as much to talk about as some of the other episodes of this series. So, I am going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a promo. Then I'm going to come back with Topsy Turvy. Hang around, folks. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, you, you know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. 
and the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Topsy Turvy. Original broadcast date was April 21st, 1956. Writer was David Chandler and director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast includes Mickey Knox as the flagpole sitter, Phil Teed as Professor Pepperwinkle, Ben Weldon as Carney, and Charles Williams as Yo-Yo. Now for our synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Daily Planet reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are searching for Clark Kent's office for his next story while he is out as Superman. Miss Lane, do you feel all right? Oh, fine. This is the craziest thing yet. And let's forget about it. We get into enough trouble under normal circumstances. Oh, well, this couldn't get us into any trouble. That's what I said a lot of times, and then ten minutes later, Superman has to snatch me from in front of a truck. But this might lead to a story. You know that flagpole sitter up on top of the Acme building? Sure. He's been there 103 days. Well, it's evidently affecting his mind. He keeps screaming that he's hanging upside down. This I have to see. I hope we get there before he falls. He can't really be upside down, can he? Superman convinces the flagpole sitter that he is not upside down. Get me a parachute! I'm going! Take it easy. Get oh. hold of yourself, man. You're all right. Oh, yeah, not to you. Yes, to you. Everything is all right to you. You're Superman. You can hang in any direction. You won't mind. Would you mind telling me what you're talking about? Look, uh, down there. Everything is upside down. I'm upside down. I'm falling. Oh, wait, wait. Look, I'll prove to you you're all right. Let go. Let go? That's right. Let oh. go. I'm here to catch you if anything should go wrong. Oh, well, we all have to go sometime. One, two... Two and a half. Three. There we uh, go. <clears throat> oh, everything's all right. Everything's all, everything's right side up. Oh. If I were you, I'd climb down and abandon this whole project. Oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. I'm going to break the record. I'm going to stay here. Well, I can't force you. Good luck. And has written the story of the incident as Clark Kent. He, Lois, and Jimmy do not know the cause of the man's unusual condition until Professor Pepperwinkle enters with his anti-magneto-gravitational register. Well, Professor Pepperwinkle, how nice to see you, sir. Well, I'm certainly glad you remember me. Why, you're everybody's favorite professor. Uh, would you help me oh. put this guy? Oh, sure. The desk. Jeepers, you're not in the traveling salesman business, are you? No, Jimmy, it looks to me like our professor has been inventing again. I'm afraid so, Mr. Kent. And I need the advice of a friend. Oh, you do? Well, let's see, last time it was a swimming pool without water for people who couldn't swim. Now, what is it this time? I call it the anti-magneto-gravitational register. I've experimented on myself with great success. But, um, what does it do? Actually, it produces waves which have a strange effect on the human inner ear. Oh, you mean the balancing mechanism, like the semicircular canals? Exactly. It took me three years to invent this. And I don't have the slightest idea what it's good for. Or maybe if you gave us a demonstration, we might come up with a suggestion. Oh, yes, that would be nice. I'll show you how it works. Now, you see that marble? Cheap as a science fiction pinball machine. Oh, not, uh, not quite, uh, Jimmy. That marble has secret chemical properties. Now, I'll show you how it works. Watch what happens when I send the marble on its way. Help! I'm upside down! Everything's upside down! I'm falling, but I'm not landing anywhere! 
but of course it's merely a psychological effect induced through the nervous system. Professor, I think you'd better turn us around again. Well, that's one of the problems. I haven't quite perfected the reverse mechanism. What? Oh, it, it works eventually, all right. Now, let's see. You'll get used to it. There. That should do it. You can let go now, old boy. What happened? Well, my friend, Professor Pepperwinkle, was just demonstrating his latest invention. Professor Pepperwinkle? But I was standing on my head. I mean, my feet. Only my head was where my feet should have been. Yes, it did seem like that, didn't it? Uh, now, what did you want to see me about? Nothing. Nothing at all. Just me... Just let me get out of this crazy place! Well, now, did you get me ideas? What do you think I should do with it? There's a fire axe down the hall. I'll go and get it. Now, wait a minute, Jimmy. You can't just smash up three years' work like that. Professor, whatever possessed you to spend all that time inventing a machine to turn people upside down? Oh, I wanted to be the first. Professor, were you experimenting anywhere in the vicinity of the Acme building today? Well, yes, I was. I directed the machine straight up, uh, where no one would be affected. Clark, the flagpole sitter. I don't understand. Uh, never mind, Professor. I suggest you take your gadget home and don't use it again until you let us think about it a little bit. All right, Mr. Kim. Well, I, I hope I haven't troubled you nice people. Professor, we enjoyed every nerve-wracking moment of it. Carney tells his assistant, Yo-Yo, of the event clock's office with Professor Pepperwinkle's machine. Hey, Connie, what's the matter? You look like you've been through a spook house, and the spooks was real. And I feel worse than I look. It was upside down. All of us. Hanging there by our toes. Hey, what are you talking about? Are you crazy or something? Yeah, I'm crazy. I've been to a nut house. The Daily Planet. What, the newspaper? Yeah. You know the articles they've been writing about crooked carnivals? Well, I went there to warn them to lay off. What do they expect us to do, run legitimate? We got to leave that to the honest carnival operators. Uh, anyway, the minute I walked in the door, there I was walking on the ceiling. Maybe you've been out in the sun too long, huh, Connie? All right, wise guy. It should happen to you once. But, boss, it ain't possible. It ain't, huh? This guy's got a machine, see? It works with a marble. Marbles, huh? Are you sure you got all of yours? I tell you, it's the truth. Just think, if there really was a gimmick like that, well, we could do with it. Like what? Like what? Like, for instance, we've been trying to plan a bank job for a long time, right? Mm hmm So we walk into a bank. Police, people, everything. And bingo, we flip the joint upside down. In the panic, we steal everything and beat it. Yo, yo, you got it. I'm surprised my own brain didn't think of that. Yeah, I think your brain is suffering from acute attusions because there just ain't no such machine. There ain't, huh? What was it now? Prof Professor... Pepperwinkle, that's it! You ain't here. I gotta make a phone call. Overjoyed by his friend's suggestion, Carney calls Pepperwinkle to make a deal on the machine. Lois gives Clark the news that someone wishes to purchase Professor Pepperwinkle's machine. Oh, Clark, I just talked to the professor on the phone. He's got some wonderful news. <laughs> Not another invention, I hope. <laughs> Same invention, but somebody wants to buy it from him. What in the world for? Well, he doesn't know yet, but he will by tomorrow morning. I said Jimmy and I would stop by to see what it's all about. Why can't the professor invent something practical, like the better mouse trap or something? <laughs> Not him. He tried to invent the better mouse first. Hmm. Professor Pepperwinkle is demonstrating his invention and showing remote control units to Carney and Yo-Yo. What are all these little gizmos for, Pop? Well, you said to bring everything. Those are remote control units. Remote control? 
You mean you can put these little ones somewhere far away and make them work from this big one? Yes. A stroke of genius. If I do say so myself. more control yet. I think you're both nuts. Uh, my partner here is one of them skeptical characters. You got to prove to him it works. Listen, if this thing can turn me upside down, I eat my hat. Well, naturally. Uh, are you ready? Go ahead. I'm avoided. Relax, relax. Take it easy. <laughs> Look, no hands. Hey, how about this? Okay, Pop, let us down now. There you are. You see? Don't bother you at all once you get used to it. Yeah, but if you're not used to it... That's the whole idea. Uh, pardon me, but uh, what exactly is the whole idea? Well, the idea, Pop, is to make people happy. That's why me and Yo-Yo run this carnival. Not to make money, just to make people happy. Sure, money is the last thing we ever think about, <laughs> just before we go to sleep. <laughs> uh, always making with the jokes. You see, Pop, we got six or seven carnivals running right around this town. Of course, I see. You think people would actually enjoy being turned upside down, like those loop-the-loops. You got it, Pop. We could put one of these gizmos here in each carny, and you could run the whole setup from right in here. Nothing I like better than making people happy. Well, Pop, you made Connie and me very happy already. Yeah. You better run along, Pop. But be sure and be back at 9 tomorrow morning. <laughs> we ought to have everything set up then for a test run. It's been a great pleasure meeting both of you. And I'm sure our association will be rewarding. No doubt about it, Pop. No doubt about it. <laughs> well, uh, see you in the morning, huh? Yeah, bright and early, bright and early. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Hi, Pop. I've seen a lot of squares, but this one takes the cake. <laughs> hey, Connie, what was all that chatter about the remote control boxes? My brain is making up for lost time. Now. The whole thing depends on timing. Here we are. There's the bank, see? Inside, there's no trouble. But making the getaway, that's another problem. Yeah, well, getting away is always a problem. This time, it's a cinch. We figure the escape route, time it to the second, then plant these little boxes along the way. Ah, I get it. And anybody following you gets flipped upside down, right? At using the old head, huh? Hey, boss, you're a dyed-in-the-wool genius. Hmm? I gotta admit it. I'm a genius. Everything has been prepared for Garney's bank heist. Perry White, meanwhile, is angry because Lois and Jimmy are not in the office. Kent? Yes, Chief, what is it? Where's Lois and that boy wonder of journalism? I want them immediately. Well, they stopped by to see the professor, Chief. I'll call him up and try and get him to hustle. Do that. And ask them if they'd mind squeezing in a little work between visiting hours. I don't get it, Chief. I called the professor. No one's there. No one answered the phone. We'll call him right back and ask him why he's not at home. Yeah. They have gone to see the anti-magnetogravitational register debut at the carnival. What's all this about, sir? Oh, a delightful idea. Mr. Yo-Yo and his friends have planted my remote control boxes in six different carnivals in town. They have, they have upside-down rooms and that sort of thing. Okay, Pop, now cut the gab, will you? You got 60 seconds. Wait a minute, Professor. Mr. Kent is writing some carnival articles and this is the only one in town. But Mr. Yo-Yo said that they own... Don't interfere, lady, will you? We'll interfere if we feel like it. Of course, we don't feel like it. You don't waste much time, do you? Got no time to waste. All right, you two, sit down where I can keep an eye on you. This is outrageous. I refuse to cooperate until you tell me the meaning of this. You'll cooperate, Professor, unless you want your little friends here to get hurt. 
The police were unable to catch Carney as he gets away with $1 million. Carney's evil plan has worked. The first of many robberies has gone smoothly for him and Yo-Yo. If it hadn't actually happened to me, I'd say you were all crazy. All right, thank you very much. I've got your statements. Go on home. Kent, my head's still spinning. Have you ever driven a car down the street and suddenly found yourself upside down? No, Bill, I can't say as I have, but I had much the same experience in my own office. Obviously, it's the professor's machine that's at the bottom of all this. Well, it doesn't seem possible that goofy little man could be crooked. Well, I don't believe he is either. I think somebody's just using him. And that somebody's making an absolute fool of the entire police department. I know, but the important thing is that these people are dangerous. Now, we know they have the professor. The odds are two to one. They've got Jimmy and Lois, too. Yeah, and there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, there must be some connection. Wait a minute. Do you remember I told you about that fellow that burst in the office? <laughs> so all we have to do is locate a man who could be anybody, any place. Isn't there something you can remember about him? No, things were a little confused at that point. We were upside down, remember? But wait a minute. There was one thing. The first thing he yelled was, hey, Rube. Hey, Kent, that could be the answer. Whenever there's trouble around a carnival or circus, that's the signal for help. That's right, and there's a carnival playing the town. Well, come on, it's worth a try. You go ahead, Bill. I'd like to call the paper if I may. All right. I'll see you later. Right. To save Lois and Jim, Professor Pepperwinkle turns on the machine, and while Carney and Yo-Yo count their stolen money. At that moment, Superman arrives on the scene, and the Man of Steel wraps a weighted barbell around the pair of thieves before checking on his friends. Are you all right? Fine. Yeah. Ah, uh, good. Well, it's nice to have things back to normal. If there ever was a nick of time, Superman, that was it. That gives me an idea. A machine to make time stand absolutely still. Now, just a moment, Professor. No more machines, please. You know, this calls for a celebration. I want to invite all of you and Mr. Kent to my house for dinner. Mom's cooking something special for dessert. Sounds good, Jim. What is it? Pineapple upside down cake. And with that joke, the groans of America just got louder and louder and louder. That is a fun episode. Professor Pepperwinkle is one of my favorite characters in The Adventures of Superman. And I am definitely glad that I finally got to him. This is the first time that Phil Teed will appear as Professor Pepperwinkle. He appears as the professor five times in total. The original script had the name the eccentric inventor to be Uncle Oscar who was played by Sterling Holloway in second season episodes, The Machine That Can Replot Crimes, and The Whistling Bird. But according to TV.com, which is where I got this particular bit of information, is that the part was changed to Pepperwinkle because of the strong impression Teed had made as the comical souvenir clerk in, uh, in The Seven Souvenirs. So just a little tidbit there. I don't know if that's exactly what happened. I mean, I don't know if Sterling Holloway was contacted at all for this role. I guess it's possible that he was and wasn't available, I don't know, but... And maybe then they went to Teed and they just kind of stuck with him. The episode starts with Lois and Jimmy looking for what they call Clark's copy as Superman lands in the office. A reporter's copy, obviously, is the story that he's written. And I guess he forgot to hand that in before he took off to uh, go play Superman for a little while. While they're in there, the phone rings and Lois answers it because, you know, that's what you do. There's no caller ID, no voicemail. If... You don't answer the phone, the person doesn't get through, and they probably just keep calling until someone answers. So, Lois picks up the phone, she calls it the craziest thing yet, as a flagpole sitter is claiming to be upside down, and what we know at this moment is that Clark is on the outside of the door kind of listening in, and I love the frustrated look on his face as he realizes he has to become Superman again to go check this out. Well, but he does, he goes and checks, and Superman flies the flagpole sitter, not only is he trying to break the record for longest flagpole sitter, but... He's doing it while dressed as a clown. I'm not sure why he needs to wear that funky suit while he's doing that, but he is. Superman lands up there with him and convinces him to let go of the flagpole and because he's not going to fall. So eventually, I guess the effect just kind of wears off, but he is eventually convinced that up is up and down is down. Superman tries to convince him to let to get off the flagpole and uh, come back down and join the rest of the human race, but nope. He's going to break a record. I believe Lois and Jimmy had said he's already up there for about 100 days or so. So I don't know what this guy's doing for food while he's up there, but he's hanging out up there. Maybe stuff's getting airdropped in. I don't know. So I love how Lois and Jimmy kind of come back all excited about what happened. And yeah, Clark just kind of eh, very nonplussed. He just hands up here. I wrote the story right here. And this is where uh, 
Professor Pepperwinkle comes in, here's Phil Teed carrying a huge box. And Lois describes him as everybody's favorite professor. Obviously, you can kind of tell from that line that they were expecting to use a character we've seen before, as Lois is describing everybody's favorite professor as, even though he's somebody we haven't seen before. To to Lois, I will say, he's not yet everybody's favorite professor, but he will be soon. And Clark points out one of his previous inventions, a swimming pool without water for those who can't swim. Not having water kind of defeats the purpose of a swimming pool. Do you really need to invent such a thing? Isn't a swimming pool without water just an empty swimming pool? And do people really just want to go into the pool without water? I don't know. And I love Pepper Wickle's comment that he spent three years inventing his machine, but he can't figure out a good use for it. They ask him why he invented it, and then he just said he wanted to be the first one to do it. Fair enough. I guess that's the use of this invention. The professor shows everybody how to use, how he uses his machine, and a little marble rolls down the track, and the screen flips, and everyone is upside down, and everybody freaks out. Clark stands up rigidly. Jimmy crabs the finally cap and is pulling up on it and now obviously it looks like he's pulling down on it but he's pulling it up i'm amazed that drawer didn't come right off the track and so they're all screaming and you could tell though that maybe pepper winkle has tried this on himself he doesn't seem too upset about being upside down so we go to a we get a quick shot of the outside of clark's office which is right side up apparently the effect of the machine is only inside of his office i see ben weldon coming in and He's right side up when he comes in and upside down when he enters. And he's freaking out too. They're trying to get Professor Pepperwinkle to fix everything. And well, of course, in pure scientist fashion, Pepperwinkle spent three years on turning upside down and not a minute on reversing the process. Which kind of reminds me of what happened with Professor Twiddle in Through the Time Barrier. Ironically played by Sterling Holloway, who might have been originally intended for this role. If you remember from that episode... Professor Twiddle spent so much time worrying about how to get his time machine to go back through time that he really didn't put a lot of thought into the reverse. It almost seems though Pepperwinkle is more Twiddle than Uncle Oscar, but I guess we'll never know. So obviously remember what Ben Weldon's character Carney yells, Hey Rube, when he comes into the office. Obviously he was going to yell at Clark about the stories on the carnivals, but Hey Rube is what everybody will remember. Eventually Professor Pepperwinkle figures out how to reverse the machine and he sends the marble the other way, and... Well, I guess it's technically not the other way. I guess he's still sending it down. And then it just flips to the room again. Carney runs away frightened. I'd run away frightened, too, if that were me. And, you know, I mentioned before, I love Professor Pepperwinkle's reasoning for... He just wanted he just wanted to turn people upside down. I mean, I turned my daughter upside down. She seems to like it. I'm not sure if I would invent a machine to do that, but, you know, he wanted to turn people upside down. Later on, he's going to want to turn people into gold. He's going to want to take away memories. He's going to want to do all kinds of stuff. And it usually works. That's the weird part. And, you know, if this makes you think about anything, uh, let me know. Because this should remind us of our flagpole sitter who was freaking out over uh, feeling like he was upside down. And this is where we learn that, yes, the professor was experimenting over there. He aimed his machine straight up because nobody would be affected because nobody would be up there. But, well, somebody was. An interesting thing note about the flagpole sitter scene, though, is I wonder why Superman wasn't affected when he arrived. You know, it shows that the machine has an effect of a small area, that anybody who enters that area will feel the inversion, unless it had worn off. I mean, you can say that, yeah, Superman wasn't there when the inversion happened, but Carney wasn't there when the inversion happened in Clark's office, and when he walked in, he felt inverted, too. Weird that Superman wasn't affected then, even though Clark is affected here now. The machine is not actually turning anything upside down, it's just screwing with the equilibrium senses in the ear canal to make you think you're upside down. Again, I'm with Pepperwinkle, I don't know a practical use for this thing in the slightest. Pepperwinkle is still looking for ideas what to use this for. Jimmy suggests uh, using it to test out the blade on a fire axe, but Clark tells him not to do that. I don't think Jimmy has any interest in being turned upside down again. But Clark tells Pepperwinkle to go home and wait until they figure out what, what his machine is good for. So now we're going to the carnival, and here's Carney. Uh, he discusses his experience and that happened at Clark's office with his associate Yo-Yo. And apparently, we're, this is where we learned that Carney runs a crooked carnival. And apparently, there was only so much room in the carnival industry for honest carnivals. I didn't understand that line very much, but I don't know. Maybe there's a quota. You can only have a certain percentage of honest ones before the other ones have to go uh, dishonest. Of, unless, of course, the uh, dishonest carnival just kind of muscled out all the honest ones which is far more likely. 
Carney is telling Yo-Yo about the machine, and Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo doesn't believe it, and uh, I'm not sure why he would. It's kind of a, fa- of a fantastic thing to believe if you're inclined to believe those kinds of fantastic things. But he does kind of come up with some ideas of how to use such a machine if it worked. They could rob banks with it. And, well, you know, because he's running a dishonest carnival, Carney is all about that. So he calls on the uh, Professor Pampawinkle with some ideas on how to use it and summons him to the carnival. I mean, I know I've mentioned this before and it's going to be, and I'm going to repeat it here. And it's going to bear repeating for through the rest of his appearances on the show. And there are still a few more forthcoming that Ben Weldon is one of my favorite guest stars. Right up there with uh, Richard Reeves. Probably more so than Richard Reeves. As I find Ben Weldon to be a little bit better at the comedy than Richard Reeves. Richard Reeves is basically just kind of dumb muscle. Obviously, uh, Carney wants the professor to keep the, the news of their meeting quiet, and the professor Pepperwinkle clearly did not keep it quiet, as he calls Lois. Clark still couldn't imagine what the machine could be used for, and he wonders why the professor can't invent pra- something practical. Just right now, looking at my situation, I could go for a road that vacuums itself, and laundry that washes and folds itself. So, Professor Pepperwinkle, if you can invent those things, I would be much obliged. But the carnival makes me think that it would be great for a funhouse attraction. Can you imagine that? After the first fatal heart attack or two, no one would bat an eye. So, Professor Pepperwinkle meets with Carney and Yo-Yo. And apparently, he has some uh, remotes too. I'm sure this will come in very handy for our two favorite carnival owners. Yo-Yo says if all this stuff works, he will eat his hat. Which is interesting because I don't think I've seen Yo-Yo wear a hat yet. Obviously, they're going to want a demonstration. Pepperwinkle gives it, and uh, Carney got used to it very to the effect very quickly, as he didn't even bat an eye this time when he got inverted. <laughs> and after it's all done, uh, Carney has his line where he tells Pepperwinkle they don't use the carnival to make money, just to make people happy. And apparently, Professor Pepperwinkle falls for this, because he's going to make Carney and Yo-Yo happy, because they're going to use his remotes to turn pursuers upside down after they commit their bank job. So, Professor Pepperwinkle is... Very amused about his upcoming performance. He just wants to make people happy and turn them upside down. I'm not necessarily sure if turning them upside down makes them happy, but maybe it makes somebody happy. I don't think it will make me happy. Would it make you happy? But here's something that does make me happy. A very amusing conversation between Clark and Perry. He is demanding to know where Lois and Jimmy are, who he's apparently seeing the uh, professor. Uh, Perry wants them to squeeze in some time, some work during visiting hours. And this one is even this line is even more amusing. Clark calls Pepperwinkle's house to talk to Lois and Jimmy to get them over there to do some work, and nobody answers. And Clark tells Perry that nobody answers. And Perry's solution is to demand that Clark call back and find out why they're not home. Really, Perry, that's your solution. I mean, my question is obviously if Lois and Jimmy are not with the professor, where are they? Are they in trouble? Do they need help from Superman? And then you go to the carnival, and oh, here they are. They just showed up there because apparently Professor Pepperwinkle left them a note at his house. Not here. I'm creating criminal acts for the carnival, guys. Well, he didn't write anything about committing criminal acts. He doesn't know these guys are criminals. So Perry tells them about the remotes at the sixth carnival throughout the city, but Lois points out this is the only one in Metropolis. Jimmy feels brave, and they're going to stop Yo-Yo, but Yo-Yo pulls a gun, and, well, his bravery left him very quickly. So... Here's Carney. He is going to rob this bank as soon as they... Apparently, the remotes explode when they're act, when they're activated. Seems like a serious design flaw. So the bank t- flips upside down, and Carney does his thing, walks into the vault, comes out with the cash, and then he's getting pursued by Henderson and another cop, and the remote number two explodes, and Henderson is turned upside down, and they get flipped and freaked out. Carney, meanwhile, is doing a great job driving while inverted. The original DWI. Driving while inverted. Henderson takes his statement from the victims at the bank. They all probably were appropriately freaked out having been turned upside down. And Henderson points out that he wouldn't have believed that unless it happened to him. And after a brief conversation between Clark and Henderson, Clark puts together that remembers that Carney said, Hey Rube, when he felt the inversion effect in his office. And that's when they realized that is a kind of like a carnival distress code that somebody needs help. Meanwhile, back at the carnival. Jimmy fakes choking to cover Professor Pepperwinkle, who activates the machine, and as Carney and Yo-Yo are counting their money, all of a sudden they can't seem to handle being upside down. This not as well as Superman can, can, who shows up unbothered. And I like this shot, is that they shoot at Superman while he's inverted. And I will point out that the upside-down shot of Superman is also reversed. Yes, I did check. 
I held a Superman t-shirt upside down in front of me when with this paused. In the show, the tail of the S faces the left. And in reality, when you take a Superman shirt and flip it upside down, the tail of the S faces the right. So, it was going the wrong way. I mean, even if they just turned the frames they needed upside down, they wouldn't have needed to reverse anything. And although, honestly, I didn't think of it at all until I thought of the S symbol. So, eh, here's what it is. Once everything is returned to normal, Superman will tie Carney and Yo-Yo together with a, with a weight bar. And you should listen to this thing crunch those two guys. Well, that sounded ridiculously painful. So, after the, the criminals are apprehended, Superman asks for the Pepper Wingle for no more machines after he suggests a machine to stop time. Which is probably the only thing he hasn't invented throughout the course of the show. But Jimmy has an even better idea. He wants to invite everyone to his mother's home for dinner for pineapple upside down cake. Which kind of got everybody a dirty look from Jimmy. You could tell that Jimmy was pleased with his comment. But I'm not sure who else was. I thought Lois's line was a little overplayed. When she says, sounds great Jim. What is she making? Almost sounds like a commercial for something. And no one really laughed at Jimmy's joke. If that was a joke. Another solid and fun episode. Like I mentioned, I never tire of Professor Pepperwinkle. Phil T is going to have a unique distinction on the adventures of Superman. He has the most appearances as the same character. This is the first of five appearances of Professor Pepperwinkle. The only other is Sterling Holloway, who has two appearances as Uncle Oscar Quinn. So, next time, we'll meet Jimmy Olsen's double in Jimmy the Kid. And then we'll meet the girl who hired Superman. If you want to talk to me about anything you... Heard on this show, you can send me an email at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the show at its homepage, manofscreen.podomatic.com. Or you can find the show on Facebook. Just I, This show is run on a public group. You can find that by going to Facebook and searching for the Man of Screen podcast. You can join the group. And then you can get right in, talk, ask questions. I mean, that's a great community. About 44 people at the moment. I'd love to add a bunch more. And if you're so inclined, you can find the show on Twitter. At Man of Screencast. You can also leave reviews for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Again, I am Mike Zumo. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo. And all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests. All music is in sound clips used in the making of this show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.